Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport on the day of both the Cincinnati Western and Southern Open finals, which have seen champions crowned in the form of Garbinia Muguruza and Grigor Dimitrov. We've seen Simona Halep flop at her chance to become world number one. We've seen Nick Kyrgios, well, lose today, but surprise us all by reaching the final. I think that's something that David Law uh, is going to address momentarily. This is three. This is episode 339 of the tennis podcast and it is the, our final tennis podcast before each of us jet off to New York so we'd better make it a good one David Law. We had hadn't we yeah it's um god quite can't believe we're off to New York it's my it'll be my 15th go and, and I'm still kind of a bit wide-eyed about it all uh, but uh, your 15th go on the wheel of New York yeah no, fantastic! I can't wait. I still get wide-eyed about New York as well. It's it's I I, I love I love all the slam. People get down on on the US. Journalists get a bit down on the US Open um, more than the others. I I find I think because of where it is in the calendar, everyone's just a bit exhausted, perhaps um, because of the, the buses that you have to get from. You you generally stay in Manhattan, and, and it can be sort of an hour-long bus in the morning, but. I, it's the one that gives me the tingly feeling because it's New York yeah. and there's nowhere like you, New York. I never fail to get off the uh, the plane and go through the immigration and A, be a little bit scared for, about the whole process as if I've done something wrong and I might be about to get thrown in <laughs> some sort of jail. Uh, and also just, yeah, the the wide-eyed excitement of it all. Yeah, I get, I get the wide-eyed excitement in that situation too. However... Immigration queues in the United States bring out the the absolute worst in Catherine Whitaker. Such as? I know you think you've seen the worst in Catherine Whitaker on the podcast and in real life many a time, uh, but you haven't because we. I don't think we've ever stood in an immigration queue together. I th- I I think 
the one thing that annoys me more than anything else in the world, and trust me, I don't say that lightly because, you know, I was I was on a Southwest Trains earlier and people were not respecting the quiet carriage rules and that was pretty annoying. Uh, but I think the if I had to pick one thing more than any other, it's people that enjoy their minute amount of power a thousand times more than they should. That is my biggest bugbear, and 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 I, you can apply that to um, the people that uh, to whom I think that applies most is U.S. Um, airport immigration employees and train ticket collectors or fair enforcement officers, as they refer to themselves. Uh, so uh, sometimes I just um, see a bit read and lose it a bit and then realise I'm sort of at risk of prosecution or worse I, I n- <laughs> and end up having to reluctantly back down. I, I now really want to arrange to be at the airport when this is going on. <laughs> I don't think you do. I don't think you do. Once the entire contents of my suitcase got searched in, so I was connecting somewhere and I'd bought a, a salad from Pret-a-Manger at Heathrow Airport and I hadn't eaten it on the plane. I thought, oh, I'll keep it and bring it through with me. Anyway, they asked me to to identify every single vegetable in the salad. They actually pointed at a pea and said, what's that, ma'am? And I said, I think it's a pea. And uh, and then I did a joke. I was like, I don't know, could 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 be a petit pois. You know, I wouldn't like to stick my neck on the line. They don't enjoy jokes, David. No, I, they I've, don't enjoy jokes at all. I've fallen don't foul of that a few jokes. times. Yeah, you, you yeah. can imagine me. Uh, I really struggle with that bit. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, we are looking forward to New York. We are, in spite of this. Yes. <laughs> And I, and I think what's happened in Cincinnati this week, as much as particularly on the men's side, the at the start of the week, it started on a bit of a damp note because of, of the pullouts beforehand, because of the, the almost inevitable pullout of Roger Federer. And, and there were, you know, there were a few, I mean, that genuinely there were two names. Uh, I can only remember one of them now in, in the first round draw uh, that I'd never heard of on the men's side. And that's, I mean, I'd like to think that's really saying something. There, there were some that I think there wasn't anybody in qualifying. Oh no, there were only two two qualifiers that didn't get into end up getting into the draw as lucky losers. <laughs> that's how many people pulled out. Uh, but in fact, I think it shaped up really well. Um, uh, particularly the latter stages. I think the women's tournament was fantastic throughout, um, and yeah, it set up the U.S. Open. Perfectly, I think, albeit slightly bizarrely, but perfectly. Yeah, it has. It has. I, I'm for a start. I've, I, I find the whole journey of of Garbiñe Muguruza this year interesting because I, I just I'm sort of been waiting for her to take over really for for such a long time, and she had such a terrible spring. You know the the injuries that she was having, and I think she pulled out of 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 either Dubai and Doha with with a, an Achilles problem at one stage and you know she she sometimes throws in these awful performances that one in Eastbourne where she lost one and love to to Barbara Stritzeva but then she's won Wimbledon and and the big thing for me is that she's backed it up you know this is the first time she's won big or got to a big final a Grand Slam final and then backed it up. I mean, the fact that she played Stanford straight away, didn't win it, but she got to the semis. Then she played Toronto and and lost out to, to Svitolina. And then she backs it up again. 
I mean, she was match points down against Madison Keys, I think, in the quarterfinals. And and isn't it interesting how many players get match point down and end up winning tournaments? You know, we we think of Stan Wawrinka last year. Well, in twenty seventeen, in twenty seventeen, it is. I know Wawrinka at the USA. If, is it just me, or does it feel like it's happening more? That could be total confirmation bias. I'm fully aware of that. It's happened a lot recently. It really feels like it's happening more. Yeah, I mean, well, we were here a week ago, weren't we, talking about Zverev saving yeah. that match point against Gasquet with the 49 stroke. Of course, Kerber did it Australian Open last year. She was match points down in the first round. So, yeah, against Misaki Doi, is that right? That's right, yeah. Very good memory. And uh, ended up winning that match. So Muguruza against Keys, and then... She she got through the the semis in in, in a tough three setter that was nearly three hours long as well. Um, I can't even remember who that was against. Now I commentated on it uh, like yesterday, and I can't even remember it. But anyway, uh, she got through that one, and then she ended up. Um, I mean, you mentioned in the intro about Halep. I I just didn't know what to make of that. I mean, that's twice in in as many weeks that she's lost Whoa. really heavily. Well, I'm going to need you to tell me what to make of it, David, because I, I have a major confession to make here. And that's that um, I was uh, visiting uh, my mum uh, this weekend, last time I see her before I go to New York. And uh, obviously wanted to see Rosie as well to get her urgent predictions uh, for uh, New York. Uh, and I was in a race against time to, to get home. Uh, from my mum and dad's in time for the women's final. And uh, this is where Southwest trains come into the equation and, and the lack of respect for the quiet carriage. Um, and uh, I'm looking at the clock. I'm looking at the fact that the train stopped at a, a red signal outside Richmond. And that's really unhelpful. And I'm thinking, OK, I might miss the first set, but, you know, I'll get there for the nitty gritty. Well, not only was there not any nitty gritty but the the tennis te- by the time I got home David tennis had stopped happening I I, <laughs> I missed all of that 6-1 6 love demolition I couldn't believe my eyes I predicted Muguruza to win I did not predict that I did have my fears for Halep she hasn't responded well to pressure and to self expectation I think it's self expectation as much as anything she hasn't brilliantly uh, of late you know French Open final evidence of that and the fact that she was playing for world number one today I don't think helped her but yeah frankly for the details David <laughs> over to you well, uh, the, the one thing I would say in I don't want to say in her defense but in some form of mitigation that she's one of the players who played I think twice in a day and we we saw that last week. Certain players kind of run into the wall, really, when they, when they were playing multiple matches. But I I don't think she was physically impaired today. She, I saw her play against Johanna Conta. I thought she was fantastic against Conta. She was, you know, yeah. She, and, she was. and Conta came out caning the ball. And I said early on in that match, if Conta keeps playing like this, I'm not sure Halep will live with it because certain players are able to overpower Halep. But she kept going. And I thought she might have mental issues against Conta because she has lost to her a couple of times recently from a set-up. I thought that might mentally play on her. But no, she was really mentally strong yesterday and then today. I mean, I know Muguruza 
can just knock you on the court or knock you off the court. I know that, you know, if it had been two and three or three and four, or three and three, you know, I'd have gone, okay, Muguruza can do that to people, but one and love. Yeah. Crikey. And I mean, towards the end of the first set, she, I think maybe it was at 4-1, she called Darren Cahill onto the court. And it was, I mean, look, he came on initially and he gave some tactical and technical advice. Um, he said, I think you, you're playing okay. She's playing really well. There's not that much in it, even though it's 4-1. It's only a point here or there. But she wears this look of cynicism on a face when he's talking of as if to say yeah well it's it's going wrong and uh you don't know what you're talking about really and do you, can i do you know who they remind me of who's that you and me <laughs> oh yeah explain and i'm just being relentlessly cynical and neg- about, negative about something and you just completely ignore me and just calmly and rationally um, fight my cynicism with your own uh, positivity and just, just completely just ignore my my uh, arsiness. Off the podcast. I mean, that's, that's the worst possible um, spin I can put on it from my perspective. Um, well, I mean, today... It does remind me a bit of that, just how completely unfazed he is. Yeah. By, I'm sure behind the scenes he lets himself get phased by it. But in the moment, he's unfazed, isn't he? He just doesn't take it. He just pretends she's not doing it. And he says, you're doing great. He, you know, he just puts his positive spin on stuff. Well, and it, and is such... I mean, I find him soothing and calming from my sofa it was quite it was, he, he really he's got that you know he's got that airline pilot voice hasn't yeah. he if just he, he just calms you it was quite interesting listening to, to the one today though because initially he said the technical and, and tactical advice then he said something my old coach used to say to me uh, about backing myself and if I believe if I was positive about it about myself and my chances then good things would happen and I would find my feet working better and you as he was delivering that line she started shaking her head and said uh, not looking at him but shaking her head and saying yeah it always has to come down to my attitude doesn't it what about what I need to actually do to win these points you know and I'd I'd, and then he quickly turned it on and said he said all right then fine we'll do it you know it was effective like right we'll do it your way then um I would suggest you do this this and this but that's what he's up against really and and look i yeah, I, I cut us some re- slack because because the stress in the moment i do appreciate that it's yeah. it's it's easy it's it's a bit as much as i love on but court it's, coaching it, it, it's harsh it, on the players is the relationship turning too much parent child though well it's quite interesting that during that counter match i i uh, it was suggested by Nigel Sears in commentary that maybe Conta wasn't calling Wim for set on because she was trying to get used to not having him around ahead of the US Open. Ahead of the US Open, and, that's interesting. You know, yeah. I, 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 I can believe that. And um, and it was uh, it was also instructive for me that at the end of the match, Muguruza went straight over to Sam Sumick and, and her physio and just gave them the biggest bear hug. You know, and so many times that feels an uncomfortable, frosty relationship in terms yeah. of on-court exchanges especially especially is that she, you know he wasn't around when when she won she won Wimbledon you know she had Conchita Martinez by her side and, and he was over stateside tending to some family stuff so it it it's nice that he's been involved in some success of hers subsequently yeah. and, I mean, and she obviously gives him a lot of credit for I, it I do feel I mean look it, it goes without saying that the there are big question marks still about Simona Halep because 
she has not proved that she can win the really big matches yet. And I don't want to be unkind because she's a cracking player. I love watching her. She's the best athlete in the game. Um, and I, I, I just still feel, though, that she is there to influence on the other side of the net. If you can get in her head, she can, she can go. And players know that. Um, and and the the total opposite is true of Magarutha. She, her game can go off. She can sometimes not, not be quite with it. But she is a big match occasion player. And she's getting better. I mean, yeah. Uh, look, I said at the, I, I'm going to keep saying it. I said at the start of the year, she would be world number one at the end of it. And I still believe that. I, oh, yeah, I, I think it's looking more and more like you will be right. And, and, and have you made that prediction when you did? If that is proven right, that will be quite some prediction, I think. But we'll 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 wait the, the requisite months before giving you credit for that. I certainly think she's favourite for the US Open now, in my mind at least. I think, you know, Pliskova was in my mind as, as a rival for the favourite position, but Muguruza beat her pretty comprehensively in that semi-final yesterday so that's put Muguruza ahead of the pack for me not not by much it's still you know quite the free-for-all but um she's the favorite Simona Halep interestingly she will still most likely become world number one at the US Open because the gap um by Halep reaching the final this week is narrowed to the extent that she, I don't know exactly what it is. Obviously, it depends on what Pliskova does, but Pliskova is defending final points yeah, uh, from points. last year. Um, Halep is defending significantly fewer. What did Halep do? Fourth round? Uh, you know, I can't remember what Halep did at the I US Open last year. I think fourth round. Anyway, significantly fewer. So we have a situation where Simona Halep will most likely take over World than 1, except that... The fact that she knows that, that could cause her to, I think, you know, she's susceptible to losing round one or, you know, early rounds, US Open, because of that. That's what today has made me think. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. She, she she's, a mis- she's, she's a mystery to me. She's a fascinating mystery that's made all the more fascinating by the, the insights we get from her exchanges with, with Darren Cahill. I find the dynamic and everything about it fascinating Mm. my my worry is as much as you know i'm suggesting maybe that relationship isn't working is going in the wrong direction my i can't imagine anybody better for her than him no i think he's the best possible influence so if that doesn't work i fear for i think he's one of the best coaches in the world i really do oh me too Um, me too to hear other coaches talk about him as well that that only reinforces that that view um incidentally i mean it's a real shame not to have serena williams what to watch at least from a a selfish tennis observer's point of view it's a shame that there are so many men injured and there are big names that that are not going to be be there and this is a tennisy view because not having those players will certainly reduce the global impact of of the tournament. But just from a, a, a sort of selfish tennisy point of view, I think this is a super exciting US Open in prospect because of those things Absolutely. you've just said. The fact that Simona Halep could come up against big hitters early on and, and you don't know what's going to happen. And, and, and we say Muguruza is kind of the favourite, but that feels like such a flimsy elements of being the favorite yeah it's 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 almost not even worth picking favorites for this u.s open is it It, it, it's 
open to that extent. And I agree, fabulously exciting. It might not pull in the ultimate casual tennis fan in the way that another uh, tournament with all the big names might. Although on the men's side, ratings suggest that Federer and Nadal are the ones that pull in the casual tennis fans Mm. and they're going to be there. So um, obviously Serena is a big loss, but that's one one big major loss. I know... From a from a nerdy tennis fan's point of view, Djokovic, Vavrinka, Nishikori, you know, these are all big losses for us. We want all the big guys there. I just happen to, you know, I I, I get a bit of insight into into viewing figures and the various impacts that different players have on them. And obviously, in this country, Murray and Conta are the ones that have the biggest impact. But taking uh, country allegiances away from it, it's Federer, it's Federer, Federer edges Nadal in this country. I'm sure it's different elsewhere. But they, those two pull in the, the really casual viewers like no other and Serena. So we've got one of those missing, which is a big shame. But um, yeah, I think for us nerdy tennis fans, it's going to be a treat. The men's tournament, David. And it's similar, isn't he's it? He's done it. He's done it. <laughs> well, he's done something. Well, yeah. I mean, Grigor Dimitrov, how... He's I'll 20, say he's done it when he wins Wimbledon. 26 but, uh, years uh, of he's, age. He's 26. 26 and... years of age. I was so pleased for him. I really am. It, it, I'm pleased for Nick Kyrgios. Um, we'll talk about Grigor first, shall we? Because um, I'm struggling... I'm struggling to say what's different about Grigor this week other than that it's all come together. He is a fantastic physical specimen. He works so hard off the court. His athleticism was the difference today. But I believe that athleticism has been there for, for a few years now. You know, he has been fantastically fit and sort of lithe and flexible and all sort of the perfect mix of... Um, Federer type athleticism with a bit of the Djokovic flexibility and, and, and all of that in there and kind of almost the movement of, of Nadal albeit a bit different um, but yeah I, I'm struggling to put my finger on why it clicked this week I, I, I don't know I'm glad it did um, it, I feel slightly more confident about his chances at the US Open than I would otherwise have I still don't feel you know, we've been burned enough times that I still, I still don't feel. You know, I wouldn't be placing my house or non-existent mortgage on on Grigor Dimitrov. But, but help me, David. Yeah, a couple of things. Got? Couple of things. I think the biggest thing for me is that I feel like he won this tournament in a relatively unspectacular way, and that's one of the biggest compliments i think i can give him he is missed yeah it hasn't been it hasn't been flashy tennis no. i mean there's been the odd flashy shot but it's his it's actually his variety that's been best this week he's, he's done a really good job of keeping the ball low um and he he has the the range of shots to be able to do that you're right it has been his more conservative shot selections that have that have that have really paid off for him yeah he he, in that match against Kyrgios today, for instance, he, he went in with a very clear game plan. And and he beat Kyrgios in the way that Murray beats Kyrgios, which is to just deny him pace, which is to um, 
use his athleticism and his hand skills not for highlight real moments although there were one or two but mainly just to stay in rallies and to just keep asking questions of of Nick Kyrgios throughout the match come on beat me beat me you won't you won't because I'll which, keep getting which must back. take a lot of restraint for Grigor Dimitrov because he loves to be a shot maker he loves to be the flashy showman but he had to walk onto that court going no, I'm playing a flashy showman. I don't want to get involved in playing him at his own game. So I'm going to play him at a game which I can do better than him. I, I, you're right. I'm, I'm formulating, for you, you're, you're shaping my thoughts as you speak, David, and I'm now shaping them aloud. And you're right. That, that was very, very mature and impressive from him. And by contrast, Kyrgios, I mean, he doesn't have a coach to discuss any kind of game plan it, with but he doesn't really do game plans does he he just does i'm going to go out there and do my thing and it's going to be good enough most of the time if i'm physically fit. most of the time i think kyrgios is actually a very good tactician just naturally he 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 reads the game incredibly well look at how well he's done against djokovic uh, who's one of the ultimate match players and he's 2-0 against him but but i think the other thing about Dimitrov. I mean, first of all, I think that the win over Del Potro, although Del Potro wasn't feeling that well, I think that that was a, a, a seminal moment for for his week, in that that made him feel like he'd he'd really achieved something. And it was kind of all downhill thereafter. He could freewheel a bit more, but Danny Valverde is. Oh, a, hang on, it wasn't downhill against John Isner in in the semi final. No, but but he played such the a second set tie break. It, it, was, it was an incredible tie break, but but he still felt secure all the way through that match. I. Okay, he might have lost it. He wasn't going to do anything more than have to play tie breaks and win them. But he he never lost his way at any point in that match. And and mentally, I think he was really strong throughout those last three matches. I didn't see all of the Del Potro one, but I felt that that was just a major moment for him. Yeah, he he, he was fantastic against Del Potro. Actually, really, really good. The the, the um, other thing is, and Del Potro had a good week last week. You know, victory over Burdick was very impressive in that. It, it that was a great win the, for for Dimitri. Looking ahead to the U.S. Open, you mentioned what does what does this mean if anything? Does this improve? Yeah, he's going to be seventh seed going in there. Now, seventh seed. I think. It's a massive deal for him going into the US Open. And here's why. If you think of the the two other biggest results that, that Grigor Dimitrov has ever had at Slams, semi-final of Wimbledon came a week after winning Queens. Mm. Australian Open semi-final nearly beat Nadal, came after winning Brisbane. Um, or, or was it Sydney? Yep. I can't remember. Brisbane. Yeah, Brisbane. Brisbane. He won Brisbane, yeah. And, and that, to me... Is yeah, it's a very for, good for not for every other player. I don't think it necessarily applies like that. Certain players, it frankly doesn't really matter what they do before, and they come out and play amazingly. Djokovic has has proved that. So many of the the, the great players have proved that. I think Dimitrov's doesn't have their innate confidence built over years of winning Grand Slams to fall back on. He has to have something tangible that can make him feel at that level, and those results made him feel a, like a contender at Queen's this year. Is he, is he a contender for you? Yeah, he is. A bona fide. He really he, is. And, he, yeah. and, and I mean, look, if, if all the others were there at the top of their games, if Stan Wawrinka and Djokovic were, were there fully fit at the top of the game, even Kane Ishikori was there at the top of his game, he's out. Andy Murray, big question marks over. Even Roger Federer, question marks over. Nadal, who we'll talk about in a little while because he's back to world number one, question marks over because his timing looked all off to me. Dimitrov is in the pack now because 
he's playing as well as everybody else, really. Um, the, the, the big question mark is whether he can win on the big occasion. But I would say that that, that Australian Open semi-final would tell me that he, that he can or that he can reach a final because he was, he was way for thin apart from doing so. And how about the beaten finalist then, David? Nick Kyrgios, how much of a contender is he? Now, I commentated Nick Kyrgios' first round match uh, in Cincinnati this week for ATP Tennis Radio against David Goffin. And uh, to say that he was struggling physically would be an immense understatement. I mean, myself and my co-commentators were gobsmacked that he finished the match, let alone won it. I mean, it was it was uncomfortable to watch because he was in so much pain he was clutching at his hip every time he was pulled wide every time he was landing on that left hip after serving every time he was dragged wide on the back can you he was in grimacing horrible pain and I don't think for a moment any of it was an act that's not remotely what I'm saying I don't I don't I've got no explanation. I've got nothing. I've got no, nothing further to say about it, other than I, 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 it's yet another thing to add to the list of things that I, I marvel at with Nick Kyrgios and can't quite explain um, because I've never seen such a physical turnaround um, between matches. You know, he by the next match when he beat Dolgopolov, he was completely okay I mean absolutely he might have been suffering in silence but he doesn't tend to really do and he does show us how he's feeling on his face whether it's with you know the shake of the head or whatever it is we do tend to know how he's feeling and there was not a hint of it for the rest of the week so that's something I, I feel in fear that 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 he could just wake up one day maybe in the first round maybe in the second round and the hip will just be killing him and you know, who knows what that means. Um, the the match against Nadal in the quarterfinals was extraordinary. I mean, with the caveat that Cincinnati does not suit Nadal. Well, I, I must correct my error from last week when I was thinking off the top of my head about players that did the Canada-Cincinnati double and then went on to win the US Open. Glaring error that I missed off Nadal from that list who did it in 2013. Um I was thinking sort of more historically than that. And and seeing him in Cincinnati this week puts highlights just what an extraordinary feat it was that he did that in 2013 um, because Cincinnati does not suit him at all. Nothing about the conditions in Cincinnati suit him. It's it's too quick. It's too... It's too... The, the, the ball doesn't take his spins particularly well. It just doesn't, doesn't work for him. Um, so... So that has to come into it. But, I mean, Kyrgios just blew him off the court. He looked shell-shocked for most of that match. Yeah, well... Completely shell-shocked. I think Kyrgios was just massively in the mood for it, first of all. Um, Secondly, I think Nadal was way off, timing-wise. He was really short. And I didn't see the match he played earlier that day against Albert Ramos-Vinolas. And incidentally, that's another factor. He played two matches in a day. Um, So did Kyrgios, So he did, but I don't think... It wouldn't fit in the down. A lot of people were making the comment on Twitter that it wouldn't be physically challenged, challenging for Nadal to play two matches one day. They were, comment, they were drawing attention to the fact that he's such a creature of habit and routine yeah. and playing the two matches really would mess up that whole 
routine stuff that he has going on. Yeah. And I, I, that was a really interesting point, I thought. I think I could believe that. Um, in terms of Kyrgios, look, he's made a, he made a total fool of me last uh, having following last <laughs> week's podcast in which I said he should probably think about not playing again the rest of this year. What it does prove to me is that I often feel that he's similar to Andy Murray. He's a more extreme version in terms of how the veering from left to right and all the rest of it in terms of his 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 attitude and approach. But there's, there's, there are certain similarities, and, and one with Murray is I've never. I don't think any of us know how to read him in terms of how he's feeling physically. We still we still get it wrong in the media all these years after following him and talking that's to him. Just, that's magic. The cat meowing at me in the background. If anybody thinks I'm awesome. Just- sort of crying out in anguish at what you're saying tennis David I'm podcast not. it's pet the cat live here on the tennis podcast um sorry David, my magic um but Nick Kyrgios I, I can't read him from one minute to the next because of all those reasons you said about the Goffan match um I, I've I, I'm led to believe that that it's the sort of injury that actually he could manage um rather than 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 take long periods of time out and that he just does need to carry on playing um in terms of his his approach i think look his interest levels do kind of veer in and out a little bit in terms of the match yeah, in the I mean, moment. He gave a fantastic um, press conference after semi-final victory yesterday with David Ferrer asked about that and you know the fact he can't do it week in week out and he he spoke so well and he said look uh, Tennis is never going to be the most important thing in my life. He talked about losing both his, or, or sort of obliquely um, implied about uh, losing both his grandparents this year, and, and sort of the the emotions he had about knowing that his the, the the career he's chosen meant he couldn't spend the time with them that he would have wanted to um, in uh, in their final days or weeks or months or whatever and you know that's obviously something that he really struggles with and you know he says tennis is never going to be the absolute most important live or die thing in my life and I think we can all res- respect that he said it's more important to me to be um, a nice kind person we can all absolutely respect that I mean I would say the two things are not remotely mutually exclusive um, in response to that. But, I mean, you, you do hear it said, oh, that, that so-and-so's too nice to be a great champion. It's been said about Marin Cilic, hasn't it? Probably by us. Um, so, yeah, I'd, he's very frank about that. It, it's frustrating because we love watching him play tennis so much. The world loves watching him play tennis so much. Um, but, and I, I don't, I, um, as much as I don't, hugely want to let you off the hook i as much as i disagreed with you last week david i i didn't disagree with you because i saw this coming um not at all did i see this coming um obviously on any given day i believe and i think you believe as well he can he can be anybody on any given day doesn't mean he will but i I certainly didn't see this run coming at this time I just disagreed with you because I didn't see that course of action being more effective than necessarily than any other course of action I just I, I don't think either of us as you say can can know the mind of Nick Kyrgios remotely well enough to to sort of predict what might be most effective for him but in terms of how how he might do uh, at the US Open I think New York is a place that could really love 
Nick Kyrgios. A lot of a lot of places in the US, I don't think really have have understood him or, or yeah. Cincinnati weren't no, that. They, but I they felt a bit sorry him. for him. Really, they really didn't take to him. No. And I think New York could unfair. Really, um, I, know, I know that he got a lot of aggro on uh, Twitter about the tweener he hit against Nadal. That that was disrespectful. I don't get that. I don't buy it. I think, you know, tanking matches, that's disrespectful because it's not giving your best effort. That is disrespectful to your opponent. And I think the implication of suggesting hitting tweeners um, uh, at points when other players wouldn't is disrespectful. It's suggesting that that's not him giving his best effort. Well, I think that is Kyrgios's way of giving his best effort. He's just different like that. That's how he gives his best effort. Um, And provided you're giving your best effort, it's not disrespectful to the opponent. I think that's just a, a, another misunderstanding of him. But he really got a hammering for that. And I think the Cincinnati crowd didn't particularly enjoy that. And I felt for him a bit. New York are going to love him, though. Yeah, they uh, they've, loved, they've loved him before now. And but if he can really do something, I, they really will love if him. If he could produce the sort of Miami and Indian Wells tennis that he, he produced and stay fit, then he can. he's a contender. There's, in my mind, there's no question about that. I, I, I question whether he will be able to stay physically fit. Best of five set all the way through. He has got some sort of issue. Um, so, no, I don't think he will win the US Open. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Can we just have a quick word about Nadal? Uh, Hey! Stop! You always do this, David. Sorry. You've, you think you send me an agenda, we discuss it. We've only got eight so, minutes right. left. You're presenting this one, then. Yeah, I'm keeping an eye on the clock. Go on then. Sorry. Dear, oh dear. Should we talk about Nadal, David? Why don't we do that? Sorry, everybody. I <laughs> promised new, I won't argue the this new week. New world number one. It is twenty-three thirty-one UK time. So in twenty-nine minutes, I don't know what clock the ATP Emirates rankings abide by, but in twenty-nine minutes for us, Rafael Nadal will return to world number one nine years after he first got there. 
it's unbelievable. It really is. Um, I didn't think he'd do it. I thought he had, you know, possibly um, another slam or two in him. Although I, I gave him less chance of that than you did, admittedly. I certainly didn't think he had returning to number one in him. No. So, wow. Neither wow. did I. Neither did I. I thought he could do it again on clay. Um, I thought he would get to the 10th French Open title. But um, for him to, to get to this point, I, I mean... If you wanted to be hyper cynical about it all, you could you could point out, which I know Stu Fraser has from the Times, that and not that he was being critical, just he was just stating facts that this is the lowest number one ranking total anybody's ever had. But the bottom line is he is number one, and given where he was two years ago around Queens, I remember in, we interviewed his his uncle Tony at that stage, and I looked at. The, the the record he had that year, the number of losses that make you just gasp that you can't believe that Nadal has lost to these people. And he had he had gone confidence wise. It wasn't just injury. His confidence had gone. He got the yips. He couldn't hit the forehand properly anymore. And I don't know, to come back from that, that crisis of confidence when you're pushing 30 and starting to probably see your own tennis mortality in front of you and realize these guys are getting younger and stronger and faster and I'm getting older for him to 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 still come through that to fight his way through that and he's not Federer with that that skill that can just suddenly flick a switch and there it is and it's he he's got to work his way to that point and he 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 went into the the dungeons of of, of training that must be so hard and painful when you've won it all when you've got all the money in the bank he must have wanted it so much and and has unending respect i think from everybody who who, who cares about this sport yeah I, I mean i um i echo all of that absolutely it's uh it's extraordinary i haven't changed my feelings from last week um in terms of his status at the us open he's a contender uh, but not the favorite for me i don't know who is the favorite because um there's a question mark hanging over roger federer in the back um we know Andy Murray is in New York. He hit on Arthur Ashe Stadium court today. The first player to hit on uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium. We saw pictures of it. The signs are good. I think he'll play. Um, I don't know how well he'll play. But hey, last year he went into the US Open as pretty much the runaway favourite. I remember feeling as confident about Murray ahead of a Grand Slam as I ever have before last year's US Open. And he lost in that weird and thrilling quarterfinal to Kane Shikori. Um so who knows yeah who frankly knows well that that, uh, that match he played against Dimitrov I think in the fourth round was one of the best performances of his career for me he was just devastating it was it was kind of uncomfortable to watch how much better he was than than poor old Grigor but um <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was you're right I mean it was a weird it was a weird quarterfinal I, I mean I heard a few days ago that that he was going to travel and before it came out, but but that it still felt as though it was up in the air, really, as to whether he would play. And I, I mean, look, he's he's still got a week yet, really, hasn't he, to to find out whether whether he has any adverse reactions. We we've not sp- spoken to him, heard from him for, since Wimbledon. So, um, but the fact that he's travelled is is a good sign in terms of him taking part. Yeah, I mean, you can't play the U.S. Open unless you're in New York. No, so it's. <laughs> It's a good thing. True. 
Um, on other US Open related topics, we've had some sad news this week, some interesting news. Also, I'll deal with the sad first to get it out of the way and uh, won't delve into the, the deep details of it because it sounds like a bit of a legal quagmire, but it sounds unlikely to me um, after the statement that Victoria Azarenka played, uh, released this week that the two-time former finalist Azarenka will be at the US Open this year due to a custody dispute with her, uh, the father of her child. She's unable to take the child out of California, which I think is where he and they were resident, and she's unprepared to 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 go to the US Open without her son, Leo. So, it, it I mean, the whole situation sounds desperately sad and awful, and um, I, I don't know what more to say about it really it obviously is so much bigger than than tennis but also yeah i mean it's just it's it just sounds dreadful and uh, the fact that we will miss her desperately at the us open it is obviously insignificant but this is a tennis podcast and from a tennis perspective we really will miss her yeah um the interesting news i'm sure it's sad for some it's brilliant for others everybody knows where they sit on the spectrum. Maria Sharapova has received a US Open wild card. It's interesting how many former players have come out in support of that decision. Billie Jean King is ferociously uh, supportive of that decision. Chris Evert, probably of all the former players, the, the least supportive, although she still doesn't categorically say, I think this is a bad move. She's just she's just the 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 most city on the fancy um, of all of them. I, th- I think our feelings about the Sharapova situation are, are, have been made clear. I, I don't think they've changed as a result of this. I don't think it's an enormous surprise. Personally, I think it's a bit of a shame that they haven't taken a stand, but, you know, it's, n- it's not a surprise, I don't think. What is a surprise to me, a very disappointing one, is that Denis Shapovalov has not received a US Open wildcard, David. Yeah, it was, a lot of people pointed out to me, because I, I I was questioning it, uh, a lot of people pointed out how their wildcards are so much more predetermined than, than normal tournaments are in terms of uh, they have exchange ones with the Australian and French federations. Yeah, they have a number that are, that are guaranteed to the NCAA champion and all this sort of stuff i still think this kid lit up the u.s open series in 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 montreal and that should count for something what's what are wild cards for if not for giving them to someone like denis shapovalov what i don't so what's the point of them just sort of a little kickback a little bonus for for tournaments that stage a Grand Slam, you know. To, yeah, to I don't like the the, the I'll mean, scratch your back, you scratch yeah, mine mentality. Yeah, the, the, the whole reciprocal wildcards thing. I I I think it it just shines a light on that, and it 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 it's not great. I don't think, and it sort of shines a light on how weird and arbitrary the world the whole wildcards thing is, and that's not just at the U.S. Open; it's everywhere. But there we go. I think it's a great shame. I think he should come through qualifying because he's good enough and he's playing well enough. But we all know that qualifying is a lottery. So um, I just cross my fingers that he comes through. Um, Kei Nishikori, we've mentioned, uh, he's out for the rest of the season. He is the latest player to announce this news. Um, yeah. Shame. Real shame. He, <laughs> it's he's a so terrible much shame. fun to watch when he's on. And, yeah. and I think it's a risk it always, problem, he isn't was- it? so good last year and we know how bad you know wrist is it's it's bad isn't it wrist is 
not something you can play through. It's not something that goes away easily. There's not, it's not something there's an easy fix for. Um, so we wish him well. David, we have a minute left of this podcast and I know you wanted to mention the retirement of Melanie Uden. She probably deserves more time, but you've got 30 seconds. Yeah, ju- just to say, I mean, it, it shows how, how much her career has kind of been slightly forgotten about the fact that when, when she announced her retirement, I, I, I had not really been aware that she hadn't already retired. Um, it sounds terrible. She's only 25 years of age. She's remembered from 2009, age 17, beating Maria Schaup over at the US Open, getting to the quarterfinals. New York loved her. Tennis loved her for that fortnight. She was so refreshing, so uplifting. And I think we all thought we, we'd got a, a great American star to follow for the next however long. And unfortunately, ill health and, and all sorts of problems beset her. And it's a great shame. But I don't know her personally, but from what everybody says, she seems like a really nice person. And, and, and oh well, I wish her all the best. Yeah, I covered a very quickly to add to that. I covered a Fed Cup tie between the USA and the Czech Republic in Bruno in the Czech Republic, and uh, the Williams sisters weren't playing, and the team was made up of Melanie Uden, um, Alexa Glatch, where is she now, uh, and uh, Bethany Matic sounds or Bethany Matic as she was then, um, very unknown at the time, and and Melanie Uden and Alexa Glatch were these huge talents, completely different. Melanie Uden like a tiny little Dominika Sibylkova type, Alexa Glatch this tall. Maria Sharapova type and for very different reasons they've gone very different paths but one is now retired and one is completely in the wilderness it's um it's very very odd to see but anyway I'm glad I'm glad we had the opportunity to mention it David that is the end of the 300 and what did I say 339th tennis podcast the 340th ladies and gentlemen will be recorded in New York City uh, I'm going to need to get all the sleep I possibly can before then because the hours in New York are as punishing as at any Grand Slam. I cannot wait, but the only thing I can wait for is the total sleep de- deprivation I'm going to endure. So um, I'm going to wrap up the podcast and say thank you very much for um, our 339th episode, for us not fighting this time, um, for you putting up with the cat um, whining in the background, which he is doing again. And I will see you in New York City. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 